Money FM 89.3, the best of the afternoon update. Money in the market on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon and welcome to Money in the Market with me, Hong Bin Jung. With the growing interest in private markets amidst market volatility and portfolio diversification, State Street has recently launched its private market survey. And so to take a look at the survey's findings and the current sentiment of private markets, joining us on the phone today is Eric Cheng, Senior Managing Director, Head of Alternatives and Insurance Segments Asia Pacific at State Street. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. Hi. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. Okay, in the recent survey, right, State Street found that more than two-thirds of institutional investors continue to grow their allocation to private markets in line with current targets. Why is that? Yeah, um, to start off, I think private markets have traditionally been on the growth tangent, but Mm. a lot of institutional investors have traditionally allocated 8-10% of their portfolio, so it's fairly small. And despite the current headline uh, valuation headwinds that we've been reading, private markets is pretty diversified. Many strategies, and Mm -hmm. what we see is that a lot of respondents remain bullish um, and continue their allocation. Um, And again, noting that it is a very small percentage of Mm -hmm. their portfolio at current. So why are private markets still, you know, attractive to most private investors in this current market environment? Yeah, good question. Now, well, first of all, if you look at the private markets um, in general over the last 10 to 15 years, mm-hmm. um, it is consistently an asset class that outperforms public markets. Mm-hmm. Um, and against the backdrop of obviously what we have noted with the public market, the equity markets, especially showing huge signs of volatility, okay. investors are continuing to take the view that private markets, despite the headwinds, it represents a good source of alpha. Mm-hmm. And you know that could explain why investors will continue um, despite the headline volatility you see. Mm-hmm. And which asset is the most attractive asset for these investors then? Sure. Uh, when we talk about private markets, generally more than 65% of the market is, dominate by, uh, is dominated by uh, private equity or buyout funds. Mm-hmm. It remains by far the largest and continues to attract um, allocation. Um, when people are putting money into private markets. And purely that's because it is a very much deeper market. Investors understand the risk profile. Mm -hmm. And the GPs have been operating in this space 10, 15, 20 years with good track record. It makes assessment of deal a lot easier. Mm -hmm. So I would say that that's the first point. Mm -hmm. Um, Secondly, I think there is a large increase in the survey. You would tend to see a lot of respondents are very bullish on infrastructure um, and private credit areas. Mm-hmm. Now, infrastructure has become very important, um, and that's purely because the world around us, uh, with aging kind of infrastructure across the world in the developed and the emerging economy, mm-hmm. there is a large gap, and private and public finances can't possibly fill that. So what you see is a lot of enterprising asset managers now focusing on infrastructure as an asset class, mm-hmm. making it more transparent, and in turn, institutional investors that could traditionally access only the more public and liquid space of the market mm-hmm. are drawn to it because of the long-term duration, especially insurers, which typically invest the money over 10, 15, or 20-year cycles. 
So I think those are the two main trends that we see. Okay, okay. But according to the survey as well, private credit is the asset class investors are least likely to make their largest allocations to. Is there a reason for that? Yeah, it's a very good observation you have there. Um, the private credit space, if you look at the results, generally there's a net increase mm. of allocation despite it, the least, um, well, or rather the ranking is the least. And it could be explained by two uh, major uh, kind of observation. The first is obviously private credit is a very small percentage of the investable universe, probably one of the smallest. Okay. So the ability for investors to put in a huge allocation into a private credit portfolio is somewhat limited. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you see that across the different classes, especially the insurance houses, they are very, very drawn to it. Again, the liquidity pool is not big enough. Mm-hmm. And I guess secondly, Private credit, unlike what I discussed earlier when it comes to private equity, it is a, it's a lesser understood kind of an investment strategy. So remember on the asset owner side, they need investment team, their CIO, to study each of the asset classes. Mm-hmm. And private credit typically is more niche. So um, I think the lack of familiarity um, is changing, evolving with GPs coming up, taking in the space of um, track record shining through. Mm-hmm. But I think there still remains a little bit of work for the rest of the general investor public to understand this. Okay, okay. Are there different trends in Asia-Pacific regions specifically compared to other regions in terms of how private investors here are allocating their assets? Uh, Definitely, definitely. What we see is within private markets, private equity, I mentioned, was the largest asset classes, Mm -hmm. and no surprises there. In fact, Asian investors are more likely to allocate uh, with 69% of institutional investors within the region Mm. anticipating making this their largest allocation over the next two to three years. Now, that's much higher than the global investor average of 63%. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess the the trend why it's more bullish um, is purely because within Asia-Pacific, a lot of portfolios are traditionally still a very small percentage of allocation towards the private market space mm-hmm. uh, due to risk adversity or generally asset owners, um, generally we know uh, they are more conservative in mm-hmm. the region. So that's the first thing that we see. Private credit, another source uh, that we discuss mm-hmm. of interest amongst institutional investors. Uh, now here in APAC, uh, that is 50%. More mm-hmm. than half of the institutional investors that we surveyed, uh, they, they note that private credit is going to be a source of alpha now, compared to investors globally, um, U.S. has 43% acknowledgement, Europe mm. 40%, and Latin America 33%. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. And there seems to be a strong consensus among private market managers that alternative assets can also add value for retail investors who are seeking new source of diversification as well. What kind of opportunities are there within alternative assets? Yes, indeed. What we what we see globally, um, and especially in Asia Pacific, is that a lot of GPs or asset managers within this space mm-hmm. uh, they see retail as a very attractive uh, liquidity pool, mm-hmm. and that could be explained purely because you know it's an untapped market. You know, obviously, private equity is the most largest asset class okay. within this space, mm-hmm. and what you tend to find is some of the more enterprising investment managers, they are focusing on PE mm-hmm. uh, and and either through direct or indirect aggregator kind of model have tried to design products around distribution. Mm-hmm. But however, it should be noted that a lot of uh, the investor on the other side uh, note the very illiquid nature of these asset classes. Even asset managers themselves, mm-hmm. uh, retail public tend to 
seek short-term liquidity and there's a, there's a liquidity mismatch when it comes to a private equity portfolio. Mm-hmm. Typically, funds like this, they raise money and they will lock up the fund for 7 to 10 years mm-hmm. and sometimes even longer. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> retail public, for them to be able to make meaningful allocations into a private market portfolio, I would caution that you, you, need, to, you need to be aware that your money is going to be tied up for a long period of time, right? Mm-hmm. And but I would say generally, there's been a lot of use cases with private equity as an asset class, um, and and that continues to be the case. Okay, okay. And finally, you know, with tougher economic conditions, private markets data management that remains a huge challenge. And what kind of challenges remain, and how can institutional investors then work around those challenges? Sure. I, I think traditionally, uh, the asset managers tend to. Uh, dictate basically how data is disclosed. Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned earlier on, uh, when you invest in a private equity portfolio, uh, you get a quarterly statement to see how well the fund manager is doing. Mm-hmm. And typically valuations of the underlying assets tend to be very infrequent, right? So that's the uh, a very traditional world of how private market works. Mm-hmm. It is very opaque at best. Um, now, with obviously a lot of headline concerns about valuations, mm. data has become or data management has become a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, let me expose upon that on two sides. On the LP side, right, the investor side, they, they are investing very consistently their allocation year on year into private markets. Mm. Now, obviously, as you invest into a new vintage, you need to start understanding a little bit more what is your actual exposure to the underlying portfolio company or the assets that you are buying, right? Mm-hmm. So the LPs is driving a, a, a drive towards more transparency. And the GPs on the other side, the asset managers, where traditionally they would be happy to disclose some of their schedules of investments, are finding it a challenge to collate huge amounts of data on every single investments they are making. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's driving a lot of tension on data, data transparency, and data standardization. And we continue to see that as a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. I would say that generally some of the larger investment managers that can harness technology um, and to work on data analytics a lot more would be rewarded by investors seeking that reassurance, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Eric, for that. Thank you for joining me today. And thank you very much for having me on your show. Thank you. We've been speaking with Eric Cheng, Senior Managing Director, Head of Alternatives and Insurance Segments Asia Pacific at State Street. Stay with Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.